Today's episode is brought to you exclusively by the good folks at Blue Note Therapeutics. Blue Note creates digital therapeutics to help cancer patients cope with the emotional distress of our disease. Check out their premier product, COVID Cancer Care, at covidcancercare.com, and we'll keep you posted on more programs that they're going to be releasing soon. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Welcome, everybody, to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. It's Trevor, flying solo today. Lots of me rambling today, so if that's not interesting to you, uh, maybe go back and listen to last week with the V Foundation. Um, It's really good to be back. I have been um, fighting cancer for the past about three and a half years, and the past three months have been the hardest stretch for me with a really grueling chemo regimen. So the most grueling regimen that I've been on. Um, and I'm going to get to that. But the chemo is doing the job we needed to do. Um, I have a, had a very large tumor in my abdomen um, and some other smaller ones. But the large one was just totally on the loose. And we needed something to knock it back. So this chemo has done that. Um, the big tumor has shrunk significantly in the past three months. And my tumor marker, my, my blood marker that monitors my cancer activity is also down to pretty much a normal level, um, which all shows that the chemo is doing what we needed it to do. So the good news is, well, that's the good news. And I get a break. Um, I get a chemo break for um, about a month, three weeks to a month. Um, and I will be starting to consult with surgeons to see if I'm a surgical candidate for the disease in my abdomen. Um, and then I'll be back on maintenance chemo, um, while I figure that out. So today I'm going to share a little bit about what it's like for me to be on chemo, sort of what those last three months have looked like a little bit of a glimpse into that. But first today, what I want to do is talk about two heroes of mine. Their names are Jaden Oaks and Jane Vinson. Two years ago, at the age of 11, Jaden was diagnosed with colon cancer. It's hard to imagine, right? I I was diagnosed at age 41 and felt that was unfair, felt that I was too young for it. But 11? So for the past two years, Jaden faced his disease with tremendous bravery. I mean, this kid just unbelievable spirit. He endured things that no child should have to endure countless medical procedures, IV sticks, scan after scan, appointment after appointment, multiple surgeries, including a 17-hour surgery to clear the visible cancer from his abdomen. And at every step, Jaden was determined to live as well as he could. And so many of us in the colorectal cancer community have followed his journey, um, through his grandmother, Jane Vinson, and we all fell in love with this handsome boy with a smile that never faded, 
no matter what he was going through. So this summer, Jaden should be playing baseball and riding his dirt bike, going on hunting adventures, playing video games with his younger brother, Jordan. But all of that was stolen from him. Jaden died on July 17th at the age of 13. Heartbreak, that word hardly captures it. His grandmother, Jane Vinson, has been the rock for Jaden and his younger brother, Jordan, as their primary caregiver. Jane has been a relentless advocate for Jaden. <clears throat> Jane did everything she possibly could to get him the best care in the world and the best chance at, at extending his life. And the, the hope was always to save his life. She took him across the country and consulted with doctors at the top hospitals. You have never seen a grandmother love a grandchild the way Jane did over these past two years. And toward the end, as Jane's disease continued to progress, no matter what the doctors threw at it, Jane faced an impossible decision. Jaden asked to stop treatment so those hideous side effects would stop. He wanted to feel more like himself um, in the last part of his life. And again, we're talking about a 13-year-old. So some of the people around the family, um, understandably, you know, said no, like keep him on treatment. Maybe something else will come along. Maybe we'll get that miracle that we've been hoping for. Um, some thought stopping treatment meant giving up. Jane had the wisdom to navigate this decision and ultimately did decide to stop treatment and stopping treatment was not giving up. It was given in this, in this case, every case is individual. Every decision is individual, but here stopping treatment was giving the mercy that was necessary in my opinion. And it was also honoring the wishes of a really special human being Jaden was going to die. Um, no treatment in the world was going to stop that. So by taking Jaden off treatment for the last months of his life, um, treatments that were horrible to endure, Jane provided comfort to her grandson. In my mind, she did the right thing. And then as Jaden's body was consumed by cancer and, and that march, that relentless march, went forward, Jane was there to care for him until his last breath, to walk him home, as we say in our support group. And the courage it takes to do that, to stop the suffering and to be there the whole way. And when the rest of the world is maybe, you know, or at least some of the world is telling you to, to keep treating, keep treating, keep pushing, that's a remarkable thing. And so I say, well done, Jane, we're proud of you. There's been, of course, an outpouring of grief and sadness over Jaden's death. And we should be sad, but we should also be outraged. Because the bottom line is that we failed Jaden. As a society, we simply haven't cared enough about cancer treatment. You know, there's plenty of awareness. We are awash in that. You can't turn a corner without running into a cancer awareness campaign. But when it comes to improving the treatments for cancer of extending people's lives in a meaningful way and of getting more people cured, we're failing. We haven't had the urgency we need to save Jaden's life or the thousands of other juvenile cancer patients who will die this year. 
So, you know, and, and it, I hate to even go down this road, but what if Jaden's death sparked the same urgency as a COVID death? Why doesn't it? Because it's not transmissible. So it's okay that a 13 year old dies of colon cancer because he can't pass it to someone else. When will we say this is not acceptable? The advertisements that we see on TV and out in magazines, they make you think that the scientists and doctors have gotten the upper hand on cancer, that every day is this new breakthrough. Every ad has the slow motion shots of moms tenting in their backyards with the kids or dads out fishing with their sons. Spend more time with family. Do more things you want to do. Have a better quality of life. Try to do this drug. Do that drug. But... Those ads come from marketers, not doctors. They honestly, they, they hide the truth that cancer is still crushing us. For everything we know about cancer, there are a million other things we still don't know. There's been very little progress for stage four colorectal cancer for metastatic disease. The five-year overall survival is still less than 15%. Immunotherapy, which has extended my life, is a game changer, but only for a tiny percentage of patients. We're still using the same backbone drugs that we've used for decades. And when breakthroughs do come around, usually they're talked about like, oh, this will add two months to your expected lifespan of eight months. <laughs> I mean, is that where we are? And, and if that happens like every couple, like twice a, twice a year, then w- when are we talking about real progress and actually curing more people with metastatic cancer? More young people are getting diagnosed. A person born in 1990 is twice as likely to develop colon cancer and four times as likely to develop rectal cancer than a person born in 1950. Why? Nobody really knows. By 2030, colorectal cancer is expected to take over as the leading cause of cancer death for people between the ages of 20 and 49. What's going to change it? The public will. And money. So I'm going to throw a couple stats at you. I'm going to throw a couple more at you here. In recent years, the National Cancer Institute, which is the pretty much the largest federally funded cancer research institute, has been operating on a budget of about $6 billion. Of that, I, I believe this is accurate, that about $200 million each year goes toward research specific to colorectal cancer. So in comparison, the Department of Defense has a budget of more than $600 billion annually, which is more than half of the discretionary spending in the federal budget. Now, don't jump off a bridge and start saying, oh my God, you're talking about defunding defense. No, of course, I am all about funding defense and and our veterans and and all those people who serve. Absolutely, strong defense is important. But money, what we spend our money on from a federal level tells us what our priorities are. And $6 billion for the NCI and $200 million for colorectal cancer is pennies compared to what we need to be spending and what we should be spending. And if we had any urgency around this, we would be spending more. It's frustrating. You know, it's maddening. You think, you think of Jaden, you think of this kid, like he deserved better. Let's do better. I'm, I'm going to come up with a letter. <clears throat> I don't have it written right now. I'm going to be writing a letter to my congressional delegates 
the senators and representatives from Maine telling them that we failed Jaden. We failed this 11-year-old kid who died at 13, but we have a chance to do better for others. We need to increase public funding for cancer research, not by millions, but by billions. It has to be more of a priority for our society. And why wouldn't it be? Every family is touched by this. We're talking, I think for men, it's close to 50% will get a cancer diagnosis. Women around 40 or maybe higher than that now. <laughs> this is the public health crisis of our, of our lives. And generationally, it's been here for all time facing humans. And as humans have started to get longer lifespans, it's become even more widespread. Everyone is touched by this. So why is it not more, more of a priority? Fly high, Jaden. We pick up your banner and we carry it forward. And to Jane, you did right by your grandson. Never second guess that. Okay, I need a break. <clears throat> so this, this is a good time. Hold on one second. Technical adjustment here. This is a good time for a sponsor shout out. We want to thank Blue Note Therapeutics for sponsoring today's podcast. Man Up to Cancer only partners with companies that offer real solutions for our community. Blue Note's goal is to make digital therapeutics available to every cancer patient from diagnosis and treatment to survivorship. Digital therapeutics treat conditions like anxiety and depression related to cancer using evidence-based software. These therapies address the emotional distress that many of us face, and I've faced them mightily, and they're accessible anytime, anywhere, on your computer or mobile device. Check out their premier product, COVID Cancer Care, at covidcancercare.com. And a big shout out to Jeff, Laura, and the rest of the Blue Note team. We are so grateful for your support. So I'm going to spend the second half of this solo podcast talking about chemo. <laughs> um, I called today's show Chemo Zombie because that's what it does to me. Um, one day I'm myself engaged with the world, um, enjoying life with Sarah, Sage, and Elsie, our daughters who just turned 16 and 14 over the past month or so. Um, <clears throat> happy birthday girls um, so one day I'm fully engaged with them and then I go for chemo and I turn into a zombie I'm disengaged sick to the very core of my being drowning in that toxic chemical soup I go nonverbal, <laughs> pretty much slumped in the bed or on the couch and people talk at me and I'm thinking about responding to them and trying to converse but it just doesn't happen um and when I do get up, I'm pretty much stumbling around and very much look like a zombie. So it's like I'm here, but I'm not here. Sarah and I, so this has been the regimen I've been on for three months. And Sarah and I actually have gotten to the point where we say goodbye to each other. Like, hey, see you in about a week. Like when you start to come out of zombie land. And I really want <clears throat> to, excuse me. I really want to talk about this because the effects of chemo and what it really looks like is something we rarely, if ever, see in popular culture. I mean, yeah, so once in a while you'll see a movie or a TV show where someone, and this is usually a woman, 
um, is undergrowing chemo treatment and it's all very maudlin and very overacted. And except for being bald, the woman usually looks way too good for actually being chemo sick because, well, the full truth of chemo doesn't really appeal to audiences, apparently. Um, so I want to talk about it. I mean, after my chemo treatments, I look like hell. And most of my friends do too, because we share photos of each other and say, is this what you look like after yours? And I do want to put in here that, you know, every chemo regimen is different and everyone reacts differently. So right now I'm talking specifically about my experience with um, full Fox Erie and Avastin, which I've been on for three months and, and my experience on, on that. Like, that's what I know. Um, so I get, I get my chemo and then I'm connected to a chemo pump for two days that I bring home. That's pumping chemo into me for a couple of days. And then I go back to the cancer center and get it disconnected. And when I go back, so they fill you up with steroids on infusion day. So steroids and anti-nausea and all kinds of stuff to try to mitigate the side effects. So when those start wearing off is pretty much when you go get disconnected from the, the evil chemo pump. And that's when I just feel the sickness that's coming. And it just, it, it is all consuming. And then you read what you're supposed to do in those days. Hydrate, keep moving, eat good nutritious food. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's not really happening. For those first several days, I'm pretty much just holding on for dear life. And I have learned to, I've learned along the way to go back two or three times to the cancer center within that first week for IV fluids, because there's no way that I can keep up with drinking enough fluids at home. First of all, there is the nausea, which is my longtime nemesis. I swear, like other than having my cancer go away, my other big hope and dream in life. My biggest wish is to never feel nausea again. It, oh man, there's been so much of it and it's just, I hate it. I really do. <clears throat> so there's the nausea and then there's also, I, so I take the standard anti-nausea meds and I also use cannabis at home, which is a huge lifesaver. And oftentimes cannabis is the only thing that will keep the nausea to a level where it's tolerable and to, to a level where I'm not vomiting as well. But sometimes none of it works. Um, so also I can't drink anything above room temperature because one of my chemo drugs, oxaloplatin, causes cold sensitivity. So any cold drinks feel like I'm basically swallowing shards of glass, which is awesome. Um, so trying to keep up with oral hydration is just like, uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough ask. <laughs> um, also I have zero appetite. Um, appetite is a huge thing. Um, even looking at food makes me sick for quite a while after chemo. And when the appetite does start to come back barely in about a week, I just want junk like processed carbs, pizza crusts or something. But, but unfortunately everything tastes like cardboard dipped in metal. So sharp flavors help. Sometimes they cut through it. So I go to like mustard, um, pickles, spices, anything that will kind of cut through the gunk. Um, so in those first several days when I'm a mess, a shower would pretty much feel like an Olympic gold. 
uh, vomiting, diarrhea, nosebleeds. Um, my blood pressure gets messed up. So when I stand up and I go, black, my eyes go black for several seconds and sometimes long, longer than is, uh, it's kind of disturbing. Um, so I'm kind of unsafe at some points to myself, even though I think I'm not. Uh, chemo also messes with our senses of smell and all the smells that would normally be pleasant for me turn sour and, and offensive. And that lasts for a bit longer than a week usually. So that's awesome as well. Um, it just dawns on me that chemo is the only setting in which we poison ourselves, not to die, but to hopefully prolong life. One of the toughest parts of chemo outside of all that physical crap is, is the mindset. So chemo messes with my brain. When I am basically incapacitated in bed, dark thoughts creep into my mind. And I think this is a mixture of the toxic soup as well as the inability of me to get up and get myself moving um, and exercise, which is of course huge for mindset. So here's some of these dark thoughts that creep in. I'm gonna share them with you even though it's a little scary to even do this. So the, the thoughts are, I'm going to die. There is no path through this. I'm going to abandon my wife and my kids. I, um, I'm never gonna feel good again. I'm not strong enough to do this. I can't do this anymore. Now, <clears throat> most cancer patients, we don't talk about this or we don't admit it or, or we, or, you know, I think a lot of cancer patients have these dark thoughts. Some don't, and that's cool too. But for those who do, it can be really tough to discuss because as a patient, um, popular culture tells us that we are not allowed to go to those places. Don't think those thoughts because you're inviting those bad things to happen and you must control your cellular development and you must be positive all the time. And I talk about this a lot in my own journey. I've come to believe that that's bullshit. <laughs> and I'm sorry. Like if you think that we must be positive all the time, you're entitled to that opinion. And I, I respect you. I just disagree. I, here's my take. Dark thoughts are normal with this cancer journey. Um, especially go, going through what we go through. It's normal. I try to see these thoughts for what they are. Thoughts. I process them. Move on. I believe that we do more harm to ourselves by trying to deny the dark thoughts, trying to stuff them down, trying to do anything but face them. And, you know, I, I think that's that's a dangerous road to go. I think that is more harmful. And here's a big reminder, folks. We are not our thoughts. We are bigger than our thoughts. Our thoughts come from the ego, our minds, the part of the brain that thinks we can figure everything out, that we are in control of all this. But our the heart, the spirit, exists apart from our ego. My spirit is not bothered by the type of thoughts that I'm having from moment to moment. My spirit is stronger, more expansive, more loving and peaceful than anything we can imagine. It's beyond even my comprehension. So, as expected, when I come out of being a chemo zombie, when I start to feel better, and when my mindset turns around, those dark thoughts stop troubling me. You know, occasionally I'll have them here and there, but I don't dwell there. Again, that's one thing I always say. These thoughts can come, but I don't dwell on them. 
And then the positive thoughts start coming back again. And, and, and so you see that pattern of like, oh, I'm in this dark place where nothing's ever going to get better. That's what I'm thinking. And then later after <laughs> the chemo starts dissipating, I'm feeling better. I can do this. I am strong enough. I'm, I got this. And so you can see how those thoughts are fleeting from moment to moment and that they, they are, they are real. They're there. They are part of our experience. They're a huge part of our experience because pretty much we never stop thinking like a thought, one thought comes through our mind and then in comes the next one. Right. But my point with all of this is that if we quiet ourselves and we try to get out of our heads and get out of that and really look at, see our thoughts as they come and go, just as that, as thoughts and not as our core selves, that our thoughts are not us and they don't define us, then we can see that they don't have as much power over us as people want to believe. So if you are going through chemo and you are having dark thoughts, maybe you're judging yourself harshly. Maybe you're ashamed to express how you're feeling. Maybe you're feeling like you're controlled by those thoughts. And I want you to know today that with this episode, I want to tell you, you're not alone. I am with you. So many others are with you, thousands, millions. And these thoughts that you're having, these dark thoughts are nothing compared to your mighty spirit that is residing just in the background. And, and that spirit that is always whole and unbreakable. So be kind to yourself, people, and KFG. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list, and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open. Big thanks again to Blue Note Therapeutics for sponsoring today's podcast. Blue Note creates digital therapeutics to help cancer patients cope with the emotional distress of our disease. Check out their premier product, COVID Cancer Care, at covidcancercare.com.